You know, one of the things that I have found to be true is when it is well with our soul, we have the ability to uh, uh, praise God regardless of the situations that are going on around us. And so I am, I am thankful that it is well with your soul. That means your faith is not in uh, anything that this world uh, presents to us, but your faith is in a God that is above and beyond. Uh, so we are thankful for that. Praise God. You can uh, be seated. Praise God. Thank you, worship team. That was beautiful. Hallelujah. Next Sunday, um, we are going to have uh, breakfast start up again at, uh, at 9, and uh, we are taking some precautions with uh, uh, our uh, kitchen area. Uh, Jerry's uh, talking through some different things that they're going to do, but starting next Sunday, we will have breakfast, and that means also uh, for those that would like to get back involved in our discussing our uh, book, uh, 9, 9.30, we'll start discussing that. So that's next Sunday. And I know there are, there are several that are excited about starting that up again. Praise God. Um, this morning, I'd like to talk to you about a subject that I think is, is probably one of the most important subjects that we can address. Um, and it's the issue of... Uh, our own personal attitudes. And uh, I was reading an article from a gentleman by the name of Jim Ron, and he stated that uh, one thing that determines the level of our potential produces the intensity of our activity and predicts the quality of the results we receive is our attitude. Attitude determines how much of the future we are allowed to see it decides, decides the size of our dreams and influences our determination when we are faced with new challenges. No other person on earth has dominion over our attitude. People can affect our attitude by teaching us poor thinking habits or unintentionally misinforming us or providing us with negative sources of influence. But no one can control your attitude unless we voluntarily surrender that control. No one else makes us angry. How many of you have you ever said that, oh, you make me so angry? No one makes us angry. We make ourselves angry when we surrender control of our attitude. What someone else may have done is irrelevant. We choose, not they. They merely put our attitude to a test. If we select a volatile attitude by becoming hostile, angry, jealous, or suspicious, then we have failed the test. If we condemn ourselves by believing that we are unworthy, then again we have failed the test. If we care at all about ourselves, and we must accept full responsibility for our feelings. We must learn to guard against those feelings that have the capacity to lead our attitude down the wrong path and to strengthen those feelings that can lead us confidently into a better future. He went on to say, if we want to receive the rewards the future holds in trust for us, then we must exercise the most important choice given to us as members of the human race by maintaining total dominion over our attitude. And I thought as I was reading that, this really sets the groundwork for where um, I am going in this next portion of our uh, summer dealing with the topic of the Beatitude. And when you look at the, the word attitude, our attitude is an asset, a treasure of great value that must be protected accordingly. Our attitude is an asset. Um, I can tell you that I have encountered many people who have a stinky attitude, and it is it is difficult to work with someone who, whose attitude is bad. Is there anyone else that can agree with that? Have you been that person once in a while? 
Have, have any of you ever gone to an event, gone to work, gone to a family event with a bad attitude, and you changed the atmosphere for everyone else? Okay. I have. I've done that to my home life. And so my attitude should be something that is valued, something that I look as a treasure. When you have the right attitude, you can do remarkable. You can do things that are so far beyond what you ever thought possible. Having the right attitude is is an essential prerequisite for success and happiness. And I believe that the right attitude is one of the fundamentals of a good life. And in order for God to go, uh, in order for us to go where God wants us to go uh, in this next series, we must understand that we hold complete control of the outcome because it is dependent upon our attitude. And in addressing our attitude, there is no better teacher than going to Jesus himself. Now, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending some time over the next several um, weeks. I don't know how long. You never, I, I, I quit trying to set a length of time on a series because every time I do, um, I end up exceeding that by like months. So, here's where we're going to start. Today, my goal is to lay a foundation for the Beatitudes. A foundation. So, to do so, I would like us to read uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. We're going to just get a, a, a quick understanding of what the Beatitudes are. This is also referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Picking up at verse number 1, it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we engage this passage of Scripture, as we begin to uh, dissect it, as we begin to study it, may it impart to us that aspect of truth that would transform us, that would make us more into your image. We pray this in your name. Amen. Foundations are important. How many of you have ever been in a home that doesn't have a good foundation? Um, Our home that we had in Sturgis, I loved the home. But um, they had the, the base portion of our home was a log cabin. And when you went into the basement underneath this, Um, they had these long logs that were bracing up this house. And these logs were braced up in different areas on rocks. Um, On this, on the basic, on the main portion of the house, there was no poured concrete foundation. It was all based upon these rocks. Now they had added on to the house and there were areas that they did pour a foundation. But when you crawl underneath there, this beginning piece was all based upon these huge logs and, um, and then bricks underneath it or blocks underneath it or rock, not even blocks. They were literally just rocks that they had had to get it to the right height. And it was, uh, uh, when you go into the living room, um, actually, that whole section right up down the center, there wasn't a square area in that room. So, you know, it was, 
it's, they didn't worry about it back then, you know. They, it wasn't, you know, they threw it together. It's not like they were trying to get the, the logs to bend to give you a square area. And so, um, but because of that, it created some issues. We had one time um, where we had a major storm come through, and it was overflowing the gutters, and, um, and it, in one area, it's like the gutter had broken down, and this water was coming, it was like a, a waterfall coming over this one section. And because there was no poured concrete there, it literally washed away right underneath into our basement a portion of the house, or the, the ground. And it was flooding our basement as quick as you could imagine. I mean, it was no time at all, and we had two or three inches of water just pouring into our basement. And so I'm out there, I'm trying to get water, you know, diverted in other areas while we're trying to fix this. And eventually we brought, you know, had someone come in and pour concrete into that section to help sturdy that area up. But it's just amazing when you have a good foundation, you don't worry about those things. How many of you have ever spent any time in a, um, in a uh, mobile home or a trailer? Um, we lived in one for about, um, about a year, and uh, you knew every windstorm that came by, and you were just praying that uh, you, you were going to be there in the morning, you know? Um, now, they weren't built on a foundation, they were, they were built on some wheels because, you know, you could actually pull all the trimming around this and hook up and pull this somewhere else if you needed to. Um, now, those are not good foundations. Today, when you, there are codes that set up what a foundation is supposed to be set like. And, and every area, the codes are a little differently, are a little different because... They, have, they factor in the weather in areas, so they make sure that when you're building in those areas, you're going to be able to withstand the test of the storms. Because that really is when a foundation is important, is when you're in a storm. You, you want to be in a good uh, house that's on a firm foundation when a good storm comes upon you. That's what I believe the Beatitudes do for us. They create this foundation that gives us the ability to function in the manner that God would have us function. So it's important for us to um, really begin to understand what God is speaking about when, when, he, when Jesus was presenting this message on the Beatitudes. So to start with, uh, we must understand the meaning. The, the focus of Beatitudes is the word blessedness. Blessedness. We are, dis, we are told in Matthew 5, 1, verse 1, that his disciples came to him. So from the very beginning, we have an understanding to whom it was addressed. Not to unbelievers, but to his disciples. Okay? Before examining the sermon, we must understand to whom it was addressed. Not to unbelievers, but to his disciples. That means if you are a, consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, he is speaking to you. So if we are understanding that he was speaking to his disciples, we must understand what a disciple is. It is literally one who is under discipline or a follower. A disciple is one who is under discipline or a follower. Disciple fails to convey the richness of the relationship between a, a rabbi and his disciple in the first century. See, teachers like Jesus attracted followers who wholeheartedly gave themselves over to their teacher. Now you have to understand, when, when these disciples would come under the tutelage of, of their rabbi, they would forsake everything. They would leave home. They would literally come and live with this rabbi 
spending all of their time for a period of time. It may be a year, two years, three years. Um, during that time, that length of time varied. But the goal was in transformation. See, the, the rabbi had not completed his task until the disciple could imitate him, the rabbi. Until he could act the way that he acted that he could talk the way he talked, that he could think the way he did. The rabbi's position was to uh, reinforce a level of thinking within the disciple, within the follower, that brought transformation. That's That's what Jesus is speaking about to us here. He is dealing with the topic of transformation. And that's why it is so important that as Christians, we come wholeheartedly before God. We can't withhold some aspect of our lives not willing to surrender that area to God. That means you cannot expect to become a a true disciple of Christ if you're unwilling to read and study His Word and to become a student of His Word. You don't have the option to pull, to pick pieces out of his word and say, well, this I'm going to listen to, but this is not for me. No, if you're going to become a true disciple of Christ, you need to be someone who, who will take the fullness of God's word and apply that to our lives. Not only did disciple learn facts, reasoning processes, and how to perform religious practices from the rabbi, but also regarded him as, as an example to be imitated in conduct and character. So that's why this whole thing of them following the rabbi became so important. Because these disciples, these followers, would begin to imitate their rabbi in all the different aspects of that rabbi's life. The rabbi in turn, was considered responsible for his disciples. If that disciple fell short in an area, if that disciple didn't do something correctly, it reflected on the rabbi. How many of you ever heard it said to you by your parents that when you go out in public, remember you are an example of your family? Is is there anybody else said that? Now, some... That was a positive thing because you reflect. You wanted to reflect well on your family. Some, you didn't want to reflect well on them and you acted differently. So there's, there's a lot of variation in that. The rabbi really took this position serious because he was responsible for these followers. Now I'm going to tell you as a parent, you are responsible for your children and the things that they are learning and, and as they model you, you need to make sure what you're modeling for them to, to take into this world is what you want them to be. So I want to encourage you to make sure you're, you're living your life in such a way that your children, as they do what you do, you will be happy. So to appreciate the Sermon on the Mount requires appropriate discipleship. It will not be fully understood by those who do not enjoy or do not understand what a true disciple relationship is all about. Because I'll tell you what, as soon as you are in in a mode of prayer and you feel like God has communicated to you that you need to stop doing something that you've been doing. How many of you have ever heard from God and God said, I want you to stop doing this? And it was something you enjoyed doing. (laughs) And God's saying, no, you need to be done with this. And and when that happens, if, if you do not value the relationship between you and God the way that he wants you to, then what happens is you discard those things that he, his spirit is telling you. That's why it is so important for us to have this, this relationship with God that we value enough to be willing to do what he tells us to do and not do. See, the Christian life is, is, is both this, this do and not do peace. 
There are many things that we learn that we need to start doing as followers of Christ. But there are also many things that we learn that we have to stop doing. There is no doubt, however, that Jesus gave the sermon as a standard for all true Christian disciples. Realizing that its demands cannot be met in our own power or strength. It was a standard. I, I, I have said this before and I will say it again. I think it is impossible for someone to be a disciple, a, a follower of Christ without the Spirit of God dwelling in us. There are people that will want to come in and they will want to put on a show. They will want to act but they've not experienced a true transformation inside of themselves. And, and I don't believe that you can fully bring the, the fullness of God's Word out in all that you do if you are not truly following Christ. I think it becomes a challenge. I think we start running into roadblocks. I believe, and for me personally... Because of what I grew up under, the, the lessons that I learned from my mom and dad and how they treated each other in a marriage relationship, I don't believe that I can adequately love my wife without the Spirit of God dwelling in me. I think I fall short. Because if, if God's Spirit isn't there, then I start falling back into old ways of thinking and doing things. And those old ways of thinking and doing things would not glorify God and they would not treat my wife the way she needs to be treated. Now, it would also mean that I wouldn't treat my children the way that, that they need to be treated. You know, my dad was a very strict, a very hard disciplinarian. You know, he, he didn't grow up with the understanding of spare the rod, spoil the child, but the, there was no sparing anything. Growing up, you know, when my dad brought discipline, it was, uh, it was to bring about change. And he wanted to make sure that we understood that that better never happen again. But the Spirit of God enables me to live in such a way and to be the individual that God wants me to be. God has a standard of of operation. God has a standard that every believer should operate by, and that's why it is so important that we be students of the Word of God, that we come to God's Word, because it establishes what that standard is. Now listen to these passages as, as we understand how important some of these different concepts that we're going to deal with are. In, in Matthew 5.11, Jesus, is as, as he's talking about why we're doing these things, he's saying it's for my sake. The NIV says, because of me. The New Living Translation says, because you are my followers. See, this short phrase is not an accidental insertion at the end of the Beatitudes, but is a literary device linking all that precedes it, making the Beatitudes a single statement. A single statement. See, that's, what a, that's why I think this is so important for us, church. Sometimes we, as we get into these, these different Beatitudes, you're going to look at some of them, you're going to think, well, that is not for me. I'm going to pick this one, and I'm going to pick this one. And, and I'm just wanting you to understand that really these are presented as a single standard, a challenge. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're going to accomplish these tomorrow. That does not mean that because you've accepted Christ, you're going to be able to fulfill these all tomorrow. No, that's not what he's saying is. These are the things that we have to work on in our lives to bring about the reflection that when people see us, we reveal the Father. And it's going to take time. It's going to, it's going to take effort. The different components that are listed in these 12 verses, these 11 verses, are but parts of a whole. And we should never lose sight if we are ever going to obtain the, what a full understanding of being a disciple is all about. 
Blessed is the alpha theme word for the Beatitudes. Just as for my sake is the omega theme words. You've got the beginning and the end of this process. The King James is blessed are ye, and it's for my sake. The NIV is blessed are you because of me. The the New Living Translation is how blessed are you because you are my followers. These these are different pieces breaking down. They, They sandwich all that is being said into an understanding that in order for us to be a follower of Christ, we must take these things so so seriously with such a level of, of, of you know, commitment to make a change in our lives. This is, that's why this is looked at as the foundation. You know, when, when a person made a commitment to be a follower, I shared this already earlier, they made a commitment to leave home and everything and literally follow that rabbi for a period of time, many times up to three years. Um, we, we understand that because when Jesus called out the 12, they, they walked with him for three years. And that's because that is the mode of thinking that was present in this teacher-student uh, relationship. They spent that time there so that when that relationship was broken off, those people were going to be able to continue on in the teachings of the rabbi. And when Jesus broke off the relationship in person, although he left his spirit, he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you my spirit so you're not, you're not going to be alone. You're still going to have me present with you. But when he, he broke off the in-person uh, relationship with them, those disciples, minus one who fell short, and I'll, and I'll just tell you, it, there are going to be individuals that fall short of this standard that decide that they don't want to continue going the direction that we are leading them. You're never going to get them all. But, but what happened is the rest of those, they changed the known world at that time with the teachings of Christ. How effective was Jesus? He was so effective that these, these 11 plus, they added Matthias after Judas fell away, that these, these 12, these, new, these 12 you know, individuals went out and changed the world. As we begin to dedicate ourselves to the teachings of Christ, as we allow these different thought processes, these different things to have a foundation in our lives and bring about the transformation that Christ wants for us, then we have this change factor added to our lives. Because I believe when you add Jesus to any situation, you bring the potential to change your world. The word blessed means to be characterized by the quality of God. In other words, to be filled with the divine nature. So when we are looking at the Beatitudes, as we are looking at the blessed piece of this, it means that we have been, we have been characterized by the quality of God. We have been filled with divine nature. Now, we live in a, in a day and age where people say it all the time, whether they're Christian or not. I, I hear it all the time, and they say, oh, I'm blessed. Now, I'm not here judging whether they are or they're not. But I see individuals, and I hear individuals say that, and, and I, some of them I know, and they don't go to church. And they've never once professed to me of having a relationship with God or a trust in Him. So what are you blessed with? Now, I believe as followers of Christ, we are blessed individuals. But we need not use that that statement in a manner that does not truly communicate that we believe we have been filled with the divine nature, the quality of God, that we are living out the purpose that God has for our life. 
So let me just tell you this. If you are not fulfilling what God has called you to do, you cannot go around saying, I'm blessed. Because if you're fulfilling what God has you to do, you're blessed. But if you're running from God, I I don't care if something good does happen. It's not the blessings of God in that moment. Scripture says that it rains on the just and unjust alike. So it's not an issue of good things or bad things happening. It's God's favor. And if you want God's favor, you must be in line with God's plan for your life. You must be doing the things that God has for you. Now, when you compare this blessed word in the Hebrew, the Hebrew meaning for blessed um, is happy or fortunate all at once. So the English word is sometimes inadequate. So when we look in the Hebrew, we're looking at uh, happy, fortunate, um, they, filled with favor. All those things begin to um, fill up the Hebrew understanding of the word blessed. Psalm 144.4 says, How blessed, happy, fortunate the people whose God is Adonai, Yahweh, the Lord. Luke 17.21 gives us a comparison then then when thus when one is indwelt by God and God's nature is within him he has the kingdom of God within him see blessing is really to be filled with God's presence blessing also has another understanding and that is to be fully satisfied fully satisfied see A disciple, when a person made a decision to follow a rabbi, they didn't look at what they were giving, looking at it as a situation, look what I'm giving up. They were fully satisfied with their decision to follow Christ. They were fully satisfied with with the direction they were going. Are you satisfied with following Christ? Are you satisfied with the things that he is trying to do inside of you? The changes he's trying to make? I look back at my own life, and, and although I came to Christ at 16, and so the majority of my life has been spent following God, I don't look at it as I had to give up a lot of things. I look at it as what I added to my life. Now, I was a loner pretty much when I got saved at 16. And I had friends, but they were only friends when, you know, they wanted to invite me into their world to do something with them. And, and I also had issues with alcohol and, and other things that were going on in my life that were introduced to, into my life before 16. And those things influenced my behavior. And so when I came to Christ... What I gave up was the, the drugs and the alcohol and, and the language. Um, I had a terrible mouth before I was 16. Um, I, I regularly used language that was unbecoming of any person. <laughs> because it's what I knew as a family. But from the day that I got saved, I gave up all of those things. Um, my wife can tell you, I, I cannot say, you know, like there are certain times reading in the scripture and there is a, another word for a donkey in the scripture, especially if you're reading King James. Um, and I can't say it because it's for me, a, it's a cuss word. And, and I, I have done in some events, some public readings, and there's been a, a, a swear word and I'll skip it. I, I can't say them. It, I made, when I came to Christ, there was a point of transformation that that piece of my life went away and I won't go there. So I want to encourage you that the focus is not on all the things we're giving up. I look at what I added to my life. I added peace. I added hope. I added a future that I would not have had apart from a relationship with Christ. I would not be where I'm at today apart from Christ. Now, 
I can look at my family lineage and look at where many of my family members ended up without Christ. And I can extrapolate a little bit of the direction I was going apart from Christ. I am, I am much better today in where I'm at with God than where I was going. So I, I am fully satisfied with the decisions I made to follow Christ. And the things I gave up, it's okay. This, this satisfaction not, is not, however, due to the circumstances of life nor the conditions prescribed in the Beatitudes, but due to the Christ indwelling in our lives. See, that's what made the difference for me in order to, for me to be truly happy to, to truly understand a level of satisfaction that would make everything possible is I had to recognize the, that Jesus Christ now was dwelling within me. I think it is misleading to translate blessed as merely just happy. Because happiness is many times connected with luck. And happiness is, is subjective. Um, People can be happy one moment and sad the next. People, you know, happiness is, is, is a poor translation. I, I've shared with you before that the English language is so inadequate at truly communicating all that Scripture tries to portray to us. We fall short because we place a word in there and it does not adequately give us an understanding of what that is meaning. So I want to encourage you. The blessing of God focuses primarily on the indwelling presence of God in our lives and the transformation that comes as a result of that presence coming to surface in our lives. And that's really what, as we get into the Beatitudes, it is allowing those, those different teachings, those different principles to come to light in our lives. Something that I think is important also as we prepare to close this morning is blessedness is not static, but it is progressive. Okay? You will never, you will never arrive fully at God's final destination in a moment. Um, when you look at the, the fullness of the teachings in the Scripture, and it says that, you know, um, this whole concept of righteousness... Um, it is a progressive thing. Yes, we are made righteous in a moment, but also we are being made righteous every day. It's a progressive thing. Now, the, the great promise we have is that when we accept Christ, there is this, this washing that goes over us, and if Christ were to return today, we would, we would have sufficient um, things done to allow us to go to be with Him but he's not done with you. <laughs> this, this progressive righteousness, God deals with you where you're at, taking you to where he wants you to be at. To give you a good understanding of it, it would, like, it would be like me taking my, my grandson, Jonathan, um, who has lots of energy. And he is a very creative thinker. But it would be like me taking every principle that I want him to manifest at three years of age and say, okay, Jonathan, now it's all on you. Here you go. <laughs> now, how many of you think he is going to fulfill that? It's not going to happen. You know, as a matter of fact, you can tell Jonathan something and he may intentionally forget that two seconds later because he's young. And he doesn't understand the value of all those truths yet. But as we grow, the value of each one of those truths becomes even more apparent. And we begin to apply them to our life differently. Tabby was giving me a hard time yesterday. You know, she was talking about the value because I, I give her a hard time with all of the... Um, uh, healthy things that she bring, makes, you know, uh, that she brings into our home, and uh, that she introduces to our family, and and I love her to death. 
And she had, so she was, she was teasing me. She, she said, just, just think where you would be today without me. And, and I say, where? She said, probably 50 pounds heavier. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you're probably right, because she is the only one, and I love all my family, but she is the only one that when, when they're going to be leaving town, she will come up and say, Dad, do not just sit down and eat potato chips. So she cares about me. I know she does. I give her a hard time, but uh, um, that is my downfall. You know, I've told you that. that uh, that's my thorn in the flesh, is potato chips. Now, some of you think it's just silly. It should be something more. Um, for me, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a daily battle. <laughs> it's a daily battle. So, um, but we are constantly growing and becoming who God wants us to be. And each one of us grow at different levels. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God takes us where we're at and he begins to map out a plan of where we want to be. There are professional people that are, are business coaches. That their only job is they meet with an individual and they find out where they're at and they find out where they want to go and they begin to map out some things that they need to begin to change in their lifestyle and their habits to take them to where they want to be. Because these individuals are paying somebody to help them make a transformation. Because they recognized that if they were willing to pay for it, they were more, more than likely to do the things required. Because when we are left to our own you know, means, we many times don't do the thing that is going to be best and right. We do the thing that is easiest and, and brings the most pleasure. And sometimes change doesn't bring pleasure. Sometimes change hurts. And that's why I think it is so important as we prepare to get into these different Beatitudes. I don't want to in any way sugarcoat this. It's going to be difficult. Some of you are not going to like probably what you hear. That's okay. God never said you had to like everything you hear. It doesn't change the need for you to apply it to your life if you want to grow. Now, here's the truth. If you don't want to grow, if you truly don't want to reflect the very nature of Christ, you don't have to listen to anything I say over the next several weeks. Actually, you don't even have to read your Bible. If you don't want to change, if you don't want to become like Christ, you just keep doing whatever you want. Now, I don't think you're going to like the outcome, but you also have to accept that. When you are unwilling to make the changes necessary that God's Word prescribes, you also have to be willing to accept the outcome. Are you willing to not teach your children right and wrong? Teach them daily habits of, of, of cleanliness? Are you willing to just say, listen, hey, however you turn out, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. No. You're not willing to do that with your kids. Why in the world do you think God is willing to do that with his kids? He wants you to turn out in a certain way. He wants you to, he's got a plan for you. He's your business coach. He is your, he is your life coach. And, and he has a, an ultimate plan for your life. And if you are willing to submit your life to his plan, then as we begin to apply these principles and you begin to make tweaks in who you are, you will become someone who God will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have fulfilled that which I have set before you. And that's our goal. That's my goal as your pastor, is to, that you be able to be presented one day well done, not medium rare. So, are you willing to make the changes necessary in your life to bring about who Christ wants you to be? I guarantee you, God will be very pleased with the process. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have the ability to make some changes in our lives to bring us closer to an alignment with who you are and who you want us to be. I am thankful, God, that your blessing is 
provided for those who want to be full and overflowing of your presence. That as we understand these beatitudes in new ways in the weeks to come, that we will have an opportunity to reflect your image to this world in a way that brings about change and transformation. We thank you for all that you're doing. We ask your blessing on um, each person today. Father, for those that are watching with us online, Father, may they experience that same level of transformation, Father, that we are understanding here. Help us to make a commitment today to change, to align ourselves with your standard. We ask for this in your name. Amen. This time, we're going to wait upon you for a morning tithes and offering. So if our ushers could come. If you're giving online, our, our online giving uh, app is on there, and you can, uh, you can access that and give through our online channel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your provision. Uh, we thank you for a job. We thank you for income. We thank you for the ability to every day to do what you set before us. And so today, we pray a blessing over this offering that it would be multiplied to meet the needs of your church and the things that, God, you have set before us as a church to do. We ask your blessing on each person who gives. May they experience uh, the fulfillment of your word in their lives. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. Praise God. Um, we have um, just a couple more announcements. We have an adult um, uh, men's, um, not just an adult men's, we have a men's Bible study on Tuesday nights at 7. This week we're getting into the book of Acts chapters 1 and 2. Okay, That's this coming Wednesday. Now I believe tonight the women have a Bible study at 6.30 here at the church. And so... I want to invite you to come out, ladies, if you'd like to come out to the women's study tonight at 6.30, um, or for uh, the men, um, you can attend on the Zoom uh, platform on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And so we've been doing really good at keeping it to the time frame and uh, trying to get everyone signed off. I think by 8.30 is the goal and that's been going well, but you are all invited to come and be part of that in those different areas. So, um, Also, um, we are needing still a couple more uh, workers in our nursery. Uh, Miss Debbie has some knee things going on and is struggling uh, with the steps and some of the things, and so we're just needing a few other individuals that um, would love to love on kids, some, some of our toddlers. And so if you are if you would like to serve in that area, uh, please do talk to Miss Debbie. And she's trying to set up a schedule over the next several weeks on what that's going to look like. So uh, I think that's it. All righty. God bless you. Love on one another today.